Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, Blog Talk. We're uh, have, having a couple of technical difficulties on our end, so we're uh, working on getting things going here. So just bear with us for a couple of minutes. A little in the tech doesn't work. Yeah. Tech suddenly gets different ideas as to what it wants to do. It's supposed to make our life so much easier, yeah? In theory. In theory. Theory is always in theory. All right. Uh, let's see what we got here. Maybe, possibly. Maybe. Don't know. Uh, it'll only do upright if we do that. Not sure if you all can hear us out there in Facebook land. But the camera does not want to do landscape. <laughs> Nothing wants to work. No. We're not. No. But that's like amateur hour for what we're not working. We're past that. Except for when the tech doesn't work. Uh, yes, I know. Okay, we are going to be a little late tonight. We are not live streaming right now. Hello. We are having technical difficulties. Oh. Hey, baby. Let me text my mother. <laughs> Did you ask him where you are? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, baby. Hey, sir. Yes, sir. I'm not a pet yet. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, boy. Uh, again, Barry, with that blog talk right here because. Yeah. We are live on blog talk. Blog oh, talk. we are live on that. But we. Oh, y'all, y'all heard Jeremy talk to chat. That's okay. The cats are looking at us weird right now. Yeah. You you know where to find your Bevy. Sorry? I said, you know where to find Bevy. There's eggnog in the fridge if you want to have nog. I do. <laughs> and there's spice drum on the table. My next question was going to be. <laughs> what are you, like, say, Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man. It's very nice. 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> hey. Do you want to go Black Friday shopping? Because mommy's not going Black Friday shopping this year. At least not early in the morning. I will be providing caffeine to all of the Friday shoppers. And then my other sir. Although I will say, Chris and I have gone Black Friday shopping in the past. And apparently we're live, but we don't have video. Oh, this is fun. Oh, this is real cute. All right, so can everybody hear us, us, please? Can you hear us? Let's get confirmation on that. Sorry, where do I find it in the fridge? I'll be back. Good evening, everybody. Sorry that we are having some very significant technical difficulties tonight. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Yeah, I know. Actually, yeah. Oh, cool, cool. So, hi, everybody. Um, very sorry about this. We're having these uh, these issues. Our camera does not quite want to work with us tonight, which is unfortunate. Oh, let me see what we're going to do here. I am not sure what we're going to do here. Um, <laughs> this is a first. It's not even a full moon. No, it's or not even a full moon. Right. I'm try one. I guess we'll try one other thing. We will be back in just a minute, folks. I'm going to cut this video so Check back in just a minute for another video. Sorry about that. Um, there we are with the... We're going old school with camera phone. With the garbage vertical view for our video, which, uh, It works. We're alive. Finally, we're live. I'm not going to be able to repost this, though. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Well, you and I can just film another one and post it that way. We'll see. We'll figure something out. Um, Are we on live next? Well, we're on the old school camera phone, which I used to can't post it to. We're online. I Let me... Well... So that's unfortunate. Let me try one other thing on this end. But um yeah, portrait mode. We're we're not too pleased with this, but um landscape is not working. Well, I'm gonna do this. Oh my god. <laughs> we're gonna record on the tablet. So that we can we at least it can at least post this later. So oh, my goodness. All right, you're gonna have to get closer, huh? Yeah. Okay. I think. I need to move my water in the time because Chris is gonna. All right. Oh, pass it this way. Down you go, buddy. All right. Oh, is that for? That's for me. There you go. And you can hand me my mouth. Okay. Oh. I I I thought it was about me. Yeah. Okay. Um, Now we need a script. One final thing. This is it. 
That would be the truth. Here you go. Okay. I am helpful, you see. We are on prop duty. Yeah. So. I know you can't see it, but we do have a fire back there. It's nice and roaring and toasty. Because we have our nog, eggnog. Yes, because the real nog is out. So I can't, now the catch is, I can't see anybody's comments. That's okay, I'll do it. Leave on comment duty. All right, leave on comment. So. Sorry um, that I will not be able to directly address you like we normally do because technology, not fun time. Apparently the issue is that um, Facebook suddenly decided that they no longer want to support landscape mode for streaming on our tablet, which is what we've been using for over three years now. So sorry about the hang up here. I'm going to have to. That's my phone now. He can comment. And then I went to try and use the computer, and of course the computer doesn't want to sync with anything either. So there seems to be a conspiracy brewing in the comments, whether the cats did it or the spirits did it. The, the cats love the attention, don't you, buddy? See, right here. Yeah, we got Mr. Nico's here. But yeah, so um, here we are, about ten minutes late. Sorry about that. Ah, that's okay. I was late too. That's all right. Now we're waiting on me. It's a holiday week, right, guys? Yeah, we, I mean, we go with the flow. It's, we're, we're not getting paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Like, why are we apologizing to you? <laughs> but we're happy to be here with you on this holiday week. Um, so, yeah, we are going to, of course, um, subject matter for tonight, Spirits of the Shop. So, because why not? Yes, why not? We are going to, uh, of course, you know, big shopping season. Your inbox is probably getting flooded by... You know, holiday special deal, left and right. So we're going to be taking a dive in tonight to um, some haunted shops. Now, of course, we have talked about plenty of, like, haunted stores in various locations over the years. It hurts, like, of our other individual episodes. Of course, we've featured some stores on them. All right, I'm just going to say that we featured some stores. Um, that's and gonna, lie. And apparently lie, according to that. So apologies for that. But, yeah, I mean, now you're throwing me for a loop. <laughs> I mean, what stores have we featured, Chris? I'm just sure we have. Mm. I'm just going to... No evidence. No evidence. No, no evidence. No evidence. <laughs> no evidence. I'm just going to turn the lights off. <laughs> oh, I thought you were just going to go.
for people to lose themselves in the moment of this frantic time of gift giving. But for every person who enters the store in the current moment, there are often thousands, if not millions, who have come before them, each on a mission of their own, each looking for that one thing. And for so many coming and going, it can be easy to see why there might be at least one soul who, let's just say, didn't quite go out. It's not my phone. I am... I ain't gonna make nothing but a straight shot, honey. <laughs> I might need to go hit up the liquor cat. <laughs> In addition to their current purpose, some stores may have been built on land with a spirit of detachment, while others may stock antique and other aging merchandise that continues to be cherished by an old soul. We've talked about that. And a store might not be the first thing that people think of when it comes to haunted locations, particularly with the winter holidays fast approaching. Yet there are so many reasons why our spirits may linger in these places, and it might just explain the shiver down your spine when you are passing through those brightly lit aisles. So let's head out to Oklahoma. Uh, this is actually where we left off two weeks ago. And about halfway between Oklahoma City and Tulsa, we find the small city of Bristow. Founded as a railroad town in the late 1800s, Bristow was, well, and how it has been a smaller community, which today makes its way by supporting the surrounding agricultural community. On the northern outskirts of town stands a lonely convenience store that was once known as Cave Corner at the intersection of Highway 66 and 48, a site whose haunting reputation has greatly overshadowed the store's diminutive. One former employee recalls an incident in which a ghost tried to help her with her nightly closing duties. I was cleaning the bathroom, and the light just Licked off, the toilet flushed, and I ran out of there as fast as I could. I couldn't go back in that bathroom for about two weeks. Well, other employees report bizarre occurrences as well. One remembers that she was cleaning the cappuccino machine, and a hostess snowball came hurling at her. It landed at my feet, she said, and that rack was always quite a ways for me. I know it couldn't have just fallen off and landed where it did. Employees believe that the, given the nature of the activity, there are likely at least two entities lingering about. One is kind of a prankster, and another one seems to have more malicious intentions. In November of 2004, a local paranormal investigation team set up audio visual equipment after hours at Cave Corner to see if they could detect anything. In preparation for the investigation, the team researched the area surrounding the store, and they found that a young woman following a fight with her husband was hit by a semi-truck as she tried to cross Old Highway 66 right in front of the land where Case Corner resided. There have also been reports from people that they have seen a young woman standing in the window of the abandoned house that was owned by the lady who was killed. Love when you ghost. While the investigation of Case Corner came out uh, came up without any significant evidence, employees said that there's something in the building. They maintain that there's always been unexplained noises in several instances of life unexpectedly going on and off, radios coming on with no explanation whatsoever, and one former employee refused to go back into the kitchen area because she got a bad feeling. I would just walk in there and the hair on the back of my neck would stand up. While the paranormal investigators were not able to provide additional proof, they admitted the equipment in the world it's no match for a person's instinct saying the uneasy feeling and the hair standing up in the back of your neck are the best tools to detect spirits. One employee agrees there's definitely 
something there. So if you find yourself in the area, keep an eye out for what is now known as the PBQ convenience store. Even so, if you don't find yourself face-to-face with the spirit, you can partake in what some of the locals say are the best burgers around for miles. You just might want to steer clear of the hostess snack cakes in case they decide to comply again. <laughs> yes, Chris, what does your shirt say? Uh, I, I have a list. Yes. <laughs> I fully, I fully intend to haunt people when I die. Oh, okay. I was going to say, like, I know, I know the shirt. I just couldn't remember what the shirt was. Yep, that's the shirt. It's the shirt. All right, Trace. Trace. And, right. yeah, I don't, I don't think being hit by a semi truck would be fun. No. No, no. I don't think you probably wouldn't feel much. At least I, I hope, hope it not. Fast and... But Patrick's totally going to go out hitting something. Well, the, um... I did not include the haunted pet store in this one, Patrick. I'm sorry. Oh my God! How did what? You? I guess you're gonna have to tell us. Part two. Shame. There's a part two. There is a part in two. There. All right. So uh, I'm sorry, guys. We're we're gonna go back to Aaron Burr because I found an Aaron Burr story. Uh, it, it it just barely touches on the guy. It's the Aaron Burr. It is. It is. All right. Because I couldn't. Hey guys, that's the dork. <laughs> I am proud of my dorkiness. I earned that reputation. Anyways, all right. So from in, uh, rural Oklahoma, as you may have guessed already, we're going to go to the part of the Big Apple. Uh, New York City's Soho neighborhood is known as a premier shopping destination, dotted with high-end boutiques and fancy chain stores, and amongst these shops, there is one that stands out for its haunts. 129 Spring Street is now the home of COS Clothing, but the site has a dark history that goes back a couple of centuries, the evidence of which dominates the interior of COS today. Amidst the clothing racks stands a large brick cylinder known as the Manhattan Well, and it's here that the murder of Julia, or Guglielma, Guglielma Sands took place in 1799. Guglielma Sands, also known as Elma, which I'm going to use moving forward because it's so much easier. <laughs> she had lived in a boarding house at 208 Greenwich Street in, ni- in 1799. In December of that year, Elma had found herself in a secret love affair with a man who also lived on the street. The man's name was Levi Weeks. He was oh, a car- Yeah. He was a carpenter in the local area. The two had hoped to elope. Elma had left her home on the night of December 22nd in hopes that she and Levi would return married. It was said that Elma left right around 8 that night. This was recorded by the cousin of Elma, Catherine Ring. She stated that the front door had closed around that time. However, she never saw Levi or Elma leaving. It wasn't until 10 that night that Levi arrived back at the home. He was demanding to know where his wife-to-be was. It was at this time that the entire home began to panic. Later in the investigation, witnesses would claim that they saw Elma at uh, Les Penner's Me- uh, Meadow, a now long-forgotten wetland area in what is now the Tribeca neighborhood. The witnesses claimed she was with two other unidentified men. Just a few days later, Elma's body would be found in a local well not far from where she was last seen. 
Evidence suggested that Alma's neck was broken before she was dumped inside the well. The trial for Alma's death lasted only a little longer than a day. It was backed by two infamous lawyers. The lawyers were named Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. Tell again. These lawyers were sought after by Levi's oldest brother. It was said that Levi was behind the murder. However, he was acquitted of the charges due to a lack of evidence. To this day, the murder is still a mystery. However, many people claim that they can see Alma haunting the well where her body was found over 200 years ago. The Manhattan well was built very close to the death of Alma Sands at Les Perners Meadow. This was a very popular area to be for locals who were in love. This was especially a popular place in the winter. It was in the 1820s that many upper and middle class houses were built on this property. This also meant that the well was sealed over and is now in the basement of the building located at 129 Spring Street. Since the original building of this area, there have been several businesses in it. In the 1820s, there was a shop there that would sell remedies for those who were addicted to tobacco. After this, it became a beer hall for Germans. After the beer hall, it was left vacant for many years. In the 2000s, the well that was hidden for so many years would resurface in the headlines. A bistro in Manhattan known as Manhattan Bistro had bought the building to use it for more storage for the restaurant. At this time, they would excavate the cellar. It was at this point that the well had uh, the well was unearthed after over 200 years. The owner stated that the well gave them bad vibes due to its eerie presence. When they looked at it, they said it didn't look to have aged since the day it was uncovered, or since the day it was covered, rather. We don't need the. That was just the. Okay. Oh, that was computer. the computer. Okay. So. I just saw a light change. Yep. The computer <laughs> just shut off. So, anyways. Um, in the years since, the building has been turned into the COS store that stands there today, and the well doesn't appear to have aged a day. Since Elmo was murdered, many people have reported seeing apparitions in that era, area around the building. Some people state they can even hear Elma screaming and pleading for her life. There are also many employees of the businesses that have resided in 129 Spring Street over the years that have reported paranormal happenings. The employees of the COS have blamed several occurrences on Elma, including missing merchandise, malfunctioning elevators, and random electrical outages that cannot be explained. Many people have turned to Elma's cousin for the hauntings and strange happenings that surround the well. Transcripts that were recorded after the acquittal state that Catherine Ring had cursed the room, stating that she calls upon the Almighty to curse them all. It's said that this curse had led to many deaths, including Judge Lansing, the one who acquitted Levi Weeks of the murder. About 30 years after the trial occurred, the judge had left his hotel in Manhattan. He went to the post office to post a letter. However, that day he left, he never returned. No one could find any trace of him. He basically vanished into thin air. The investigation into his disappearance had turned up nothing. This ultimately led the case to be abandoned. However, the locals believe that Elma had something to do with it. The Manhattan Well is a hidden gem. Yet, use some discretion if you stop into COS to see it yourself. Apparently, some of the employees there are not fond of sightseers. Its appearance is unsettling, not only for the events that transpired there, but also for the fact that it looks as good as new after so many years. So is Elma behind all the strange happenings, or maybe is it her cousin's curse? 
No one knows for sure, and it's likely that this is one mystery that will never be fully resolved. Also, I don't care what Hamilton said. He was, he was not innocent. <laughs> they had plenty of evidence. <laughs> anyway. Next. 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 All right. So we're going to fly over to San Francisco now because we can. And while the Tech Brothers, uh, Rose are here are the terrifying enough in their own right. We'll stay in our lane and stick to spirited things. That's and what's going on. I called out the tech bros in my... Did you call it tech bros? I called it tech bros in the script. Uh, oh, oh, so they, they heard about it in advance. I, the script is saved in the cloud. Uh, I'm sure they, yeah, they're spying on us. Well, Google Drive does take your stuff from AI. Well, I, it's not Google Drive, but uh. in any case. They saw it in the script and they decided to make my life difficult tonight. So tech bros. So tech bros. It's all the tech bros' fault. All right. So <laughs> we're, <back. laughs> we're done with techie bashing. All right. On to the uh, landmark flood building. Now, to be clear, this has nothing to do with the watery type of flood. This was a 12-story structure at the corner of Market and Powell Street, and it was built by James L. Flood. That flood. And uh, it was a tribute to his father, James Clare Flood. When it was completed in 1904, it was the largest building in San Francisco and is still known today for its beautiful blue-gray sandstone covering bricks, high ceilings, iron railed stairways, and it was built to withstand things. So let's talk about those things. There was, of course, the devastating earthquake that struck in 1906 and it stood still, and it was fine. Uh, and then recently, it was actually the flagship store for Gap, but they closed their doors permanently in 2020. We all know why. We're not going to talk about that. Today, however, it has a diverse set of tenants, including retail shops and professional service firms. However, the marble hallways of the building hide a few dark secrets. The flood building rose from the ashes of the Baldwin Hotel, which was destroyed by fire in 1898. Was it named after Alex Baldwin? Yeah, too early. Oh, do we know that? Well, I know it's not Alex. Well, he could be a vampire. It could. <laughs> was, he, was he named after? I don't know if he's from Rochester. You should know that. Yeah, do you know about Alex Baldwin? So, you know, you're from Rochester. Yeah, I, I'm sure I grew up right next door to him. Not really. I have no idea. I think we went to school with the one guy. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so it used to be, uh, the hotel used to be a destination resort for the upper classes. It had a swimming pool, an ice skating rink, any of us best of both worlds, right? <laughs> uh, the building security officers often reported hearing people, including young children, crying out at night. He believes it was the ghosts of the people who remained trapped inside as the Baldwin Hotel had burned to the ground. Two people were killed in the flames, and countless others certainly would have borne the mental scars of the calamity for the rest of their lives. While the flood building managed to survive the devastating earthquake of 1906, it did have some scars. The first two floors of the building were damaged by the quake and the subsequent fire. Uh, not all of those who were in the building at the time came away unscathed. Some of their spirits seemed to have joined the victims of the hotel fire and their fearful crying echoing up and down the hallways of the flood building. It is the mailman. He is running late. 
Over the years, the Flood Building has seen many highs and lows and served countless different businesses and agencies and has survived attempts at demolition, which to the relief of preservationists today, it still stands. While the future of the Flood Building is secure for now, the past will always wear the scars of the tumultuous events the site witnessed over a century ago. And the residents' parents are unlikely to let the retailers forget about them anytime soon. Okay, Vincent is guarding the door. <laughs> Place I want to go. Where? Oh, yes. The bookstore. This is a yes. So, we're going to move on to the Motor City. Because you all know we like our research Motor City. Detroit. Aha. Uh -huh. Yes. So this city has faced, you know, admittedly, faced a lot of trouble in recent decades, evidenced by the many ruined buildings and abandoned factories that do dot the landscape. That said, there are still many people there that are making a go of it, including one of the most renowned bookstores in all the world, John K. King Used and Rare Books. This store, standing four floors tall, houses over a million books separated into 900 categories. It also happens to be the home of a couple of ghosts. Now, John K. King, the namesake for the store, credits the late Elsie Freetag with his success. Elsie was King's guidance counselor in high school, and she was the one who steered him towards making his passion, buying and selling used books and antiques, into his career. It's said that Elsie even dismissed King early from school on Friday afternoon so he could set up his table at antique shows. After graduation, King tried his hand at college in upstate New York. By his own admission, he probably spent much more time scavenging through old barns than preparing for his classes. By 1971, King had established his first store in Dearborn, Michigan, and then later in downtown Detroit, um, uh, downtown Detroit's theater building, Michigan Theater Building. Yes. The Michigan Theater Building is notorious amongst Detroit preservationists. Once an ornate Italian Renaissance-style 1920 showcase, in 1977, the theater itself was gutted and turned into a parking garage. King soon outgrew his storefront in the Michigan Theater Building. His first solution was to rent empty offices upstairs in the building, sending sometimes befuddled customers up staircases and down hallways, with keys in hand searching for the office that held the special collections that they sought. It wasn't long before John decided to buy a building of his own. In 1983, King purchased the abandoned four-story Advanced Glove Factory building at 901 West Lafayette in downtown Detroit. Within a few years, King was utilizing all four floors of the building for his retail concern, filling the basement to overflowing with duplicates and books waiting to, pro waiting to be processed. Several years later, King brought bought the office building behind his store, the old Otis Elevator Building, and set up his offices and rare book room upstairs. In his, in his years of business, King has handled countless rare and collectible books, including the archives of some of Detroit's original auto barons, a Mark Twain biography that just happened to have an original photo of the author pressed between its pages. Hmm and a presentation signed by a one-time junior senator from Massachusetts, John F. Kennedy. Since he's been in business, King has also played host to a number of big-time movers and shakers, including U.S. governors, uh, senators, A-list musicians and actors, and more. 
his store truly is worth a pilgrimage for lovers of collectible books. These days, King says he's content with having over a million books in stock. Two stores, he did wind up adding a smaller one in the, in the trendy Detroit suburbs, and about a dozen employees who love books almost as much as he does. As for what is now his bookstore, the John K. King uh, was built in 1906, and until 1929, it was a hat factory. Then it became the Advanced Glove Company. When the expressway came, instead of knocking the building down, they physically moved the entire building about 250 feet to its current location. In 1947, it was put on wood rollers and rolled down the block. Then in 1981, the glove company went bankrupt and left the building vacant until John purchased it in 1983 and officially opened its doors on January 1st of 1984. Many people think that John King's bookstore is haunted. Now, over the years, there have been numerous reports from customers of, from customers of supernatural and unexplainable phenomena including footsteps and whisperings in empty hallways, lights turning on and off, feeling like they're being watched, inanimate objects suddenly moving, doors and cabinets opening and closing, items disappearing and reappearing, feeling something lightly brushed past them, inexplicable cold spots, and more. It's possible that many of these spirits, uh, spirited activities come in with books and other antiques and that they are enjoying the opportunity to stretch their legs in the spacious store. King recalled one particular collection that came in several years ago. He said, years ago, we had bought an estate from a murder-suicide victim. When we moved her books and other objects to the fourth floor, strange things started happening. Lights would go on and off randomly. We would hear bizarre noises. Books would fall off the shelves by themselves. We weren't scared. It was just irritating. Soon after, employees reported hearing footsteps and doors slamming. But when the woman's things were moved out, King said everything went back to normal. He said, nothing happened ever again. That was weird. It doesn't mean that she's not there. I just haven't necessarily noticed her since. They also recall a time when a paranormal team came into the store to have a look around. They claimed to have located one authentic ghost. They told us that back when this was a factory, a man killed himself on the third floor. He fell in love with a female coworker. She rebuffed him, so he killed himself up there, and his ghost haunts the third floor to this day. He is supposedly responsible for many sightings, cold spots, and echoing footsteps through the building. Given the historic nature of the building and their line of business, it's very likely that the John K. King used in rare books store will continue to have hauntings. With so many well-loved artifacts coming and going every day, there's bound to be a spirit or two hitching a ride along the way. My what? Here, right now. Oh, uh-oh. Somebody find it? Oh, yeah. Right now, drive. And you call it
but we're going to go to Wilmington, Massachusetts. Uh, this actually took place only a few years ago in April of 2019. Uh, and this ghost story sighting or this ghost sighting uh, from this grocery store actually went viral. So we decided we'd investigate a little bit more. The press statement was eye-catching. Her market basket search woman, Justin... Justin Griffin. As far as we know, all of our stores are ghost free, but if there's anything to it, she's probably attracted to our Victorian era prices. Oh, love it. Yes. Always marketing. Yes. Merchandising. Merchandising.
No matter what the people of Wilmington have seen in their market basket grocery store, this certainly gave them a little spirited excitement to chat about in the spring of 
but not all of them. The store, which opened in 1994, also draws its fair share of visitors because of its tragic past. The Seawall Walmart is where the former St. Mary's Orphan's Asylum used to reside. You can see evidence of this by looking on the Seawall side of Seawall Boulevard across from Walmart, where there is a historical marker for St. Mary's Orphanage. Wherever they are in the world on September 8th, the members of the Congregation of the Sisters of Charity of the Incarnate Word sing an old French hymn, Queen of the Waves. They have carried on this tradition every year since 1900, as the song provides the sisters an opportunity to pause and remember all who lost their lives in the devastating hurricane over a century ago. Striking Galveston on September 8th of 1900, the Great Storm is considered the worst natural disaster in the nation's history. More than 6,000 men, women, and children lost their lives. Among the dead were 10 sisters and six, or, excuse me, 90 children from the St. Mary's Orphan's Asylum, operated by the Sisters of Charity. The sisters also operated St. Mary's Infirmary in Galveston. It was the first Catholic hospital in the state, established in 1867. The sisters were called to Galveston by Catholic Bishop Claude M. Dubois in 1866 to care for the many sick and infirm in what was the major port of entry for Texas. They were also charged with caring for orphaned children, most of whom had lost parents during yellow fever epidemic. At first, the Sisters of Charity opened an orphanage within the hospital but later moved it three miles to the beach on beach or to the west on beachfront property. The location seemed ideal as it was far from town and the threat of yellow fever. As Galveston entered a new century, it was one of the wealthiest cities per capita in the United States and one of the largest in the state. It was a prosperous community with a bustling port. A population of about 36,000, Galveston appeared to be poised for greatness. And then one weekend in September of 1900, the same proximity to the sea that had made the community grow and prosper as a port city was to change Galveston Island forever. On September 8th, Galveston became the victim of a powerful hurricane of such destructive force that whole blocks of homes were completely swept away and one-sixth of the population was killed. Beginning early on the morning of Saturday, September 8, 1900, the winds began coming in strongly from the north. Despite the opposing winds, the tides from the southern Gulf waters also rose, sending large crashing waves upon the beachfront. Sister Elizabeth Ryan, one of ten sisters at St. Mary's Orphanage, had come into town that morning to collect food. Despite pleas from Mother Gabriel, the assistant superior at St. Mary's Infirmary, for her to stay at the hospital until the storm passed, Sister Elizabeth said she had to return to the orphanage. Sister Elizabeth said that she had the provisions in the wagon, and if she did not return to the children, they would have no supper. She didn't know that whether she returned there or not, there would be no more suppers at the orphanage. During the afternoon, the winds and rain continued to increase. The tides of the gulf rose higher and higher, with fierce waves crashing on the beach, sending floodwaters into residential areas. St. Mary's Orphanage consisted of two large two-story dormitories just off the beach behind a row of tall sand dunes that were supported by salt cedar trees. The buildings had balconies facing the gulf. According to one of the boys at the orphanage, the rising tides began eroding the sand dunes as though they were made of flour. 
soon the waters of the Gulf reached the dormitories. The sisters at the orphanage brought all the children into the girls' dormitory because it was the newer and stronger of the two buildings. In the first floor chapel, they tried to calm the children by having them sing Queen of the Waves. The waters continued to rise. Taking the children to the second story of the dormitory, the sisters had Henry Esquire, a worker, collect clothesline rope. Again, they had the boys and girls sing Queen of the Waves. One of the boys later said that the children were very frightened and the sisters were very brave. By 6 p.m., the wind was gusting past 100 miles per hour, and the waters of the Gulf and Bay had met, completely flooding the city. Residents climbed to the second stories, attics, and even roofs over their homes. Flying debris struck many who dared venture outside their homes. Around 7.30 p.m., the main tidal surge struck the south shore. Houses along the beachfront were lifted from their foundations and sent like battering rams into other houses. Houses fell upon houses. At St. Mary's Infirmary, the floodwaters filled the first floor. From the second-story balcony, the sisters pulled refugees in as they floated by and brought them into the overcrowded hospital. Almost every window in the facility was broken out, by sending the wind and rain whipping through the building. At the orphanage, the children and sisters heard the crash of the boys' dormitory as it collapsed and was carried away by the floodwaters. The sisters cut the clothesline rope into sections and used it to tie the children to the cinchars that they wore around their waist. Each sister tied herself between six to eight children. It was a valiant, yet sacrificial effort to save the children. Some of the older children climbed onto the roof of the orphanage. Eventually, the dormitory building that had been the sanctuary for the children and sisters was lifted from its foundation. The bottom fell out and the roof came crashing down, trapping those inside. Only three boys from the orphanage survived, William Murney, Frank Madra, and Albert Campbell. Miraculously, all three ended up together in a tree in the water. After floating for more than a day, they were eventually able to make their way into town where they told the sisters what had happened at the orphanage. One of the boys remembered a, sister tight, remembered a sister tightly holding two small children in her arms, promising not to let go. The sisters were buried where, wherever they were found and with the children still attached to them. Two of the sisters were found together across the bay on the mainland. One of them was tightly holding two small children in her arms. Even in death, she had kept her promise not to let go. There were 93 children cared for by the 10 sisters. And again, after the storm, 90 of those children and all 10 of the sisters were dead. The death and destruction in Galveston was unbelievable. More than 6,000 were dead, and the bodies were littered throughout the city. It would be months before some would be uncovered. A complete list of the dead was never made. It was estimated that the winds reached 150 miles per hour or maybe even 200. The tidal surge has been estimated at from 15 to 20 feet. Full blocks of homes have been completely destroyed, leaving little more than a brick or two. In all, more than 3,600 homes were destroyed. A great wall of debris wrapped itself around St. Mary's Infirmary on the eastern end of the city and then zigzagged through the city to the beach. At places, the wall was two stories high. At St. Mary's Infirmary, there was no food or water. While the main hospital building was still standing, the adjacent structures had been destroyed. On September 8th of 1994, a Texas historical marker was placed at 69th Street and Seawall Boulevard, marking the site of the former orphanage. 
the descendants of two of the survivors, Will Murney and Frank Madra, were returned to participate in the marker dedication. As part of the ceremony, Queen of the Waves was sung again at the same time and place as it was during the great 1900 storm. The marker went up on the same year that the Walmart opened on the site where the orphanage once stood. Walmart employees have been reporting misplaced toys, missing pallets of toy inventory, phantom children's laughter, and cries for parents. A former employee tells a story about how she once heard a child crying and crying for their mother. She went to find the child thinking they were lost and needed help finding their mother. She searched the toy department. She called out to the child without an answer and even had other employees and customers trying to assist in finding the lost child. They never did find the child, never saw a crying child for that matter, and suddenly the crying was said to just stop. It always sounded like the child was just on the next pile over, and two employees argued back and forth saying, don't you see her? She's on your side, with the other responding, no, she's on your side. I can hear her. But they were unable to ever find the little girl. In addition to the chaos in the toy department, employees have also reported cash registers going haywire, automatic doors opening and closing on their own, and items inexplicably being found out of place, not only on store shelves, but also in store offices. Another widespread story concerns the time Walmart allowed FEMA workers inside the heavily damaged store to fetch supplies after Hurricane Ike in 2008. When they entered, they heard children laughing and coughing said local author Kathleen Maka, who devoted a chapter of her 2016 book, Ghosts of Galveston, to the haunted Walmart. Even though, uh, or excuse me, they thought that some children had snuck into the building, so they did a full search. And even though they didn't find any children, they did find children's footsteps in the muck on the floor, even though there was no other entrance at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. One employee who spent 15 years on the night shift at the store, Denise Sandoval, described how most of the supernatural activity seems to happen around 1 a.m., which was the apex of the storm in 1900. Denise described one unsettling event where a fire extinguisher flew off its post and struck a grocery cart, just one of the many weird events that have taken place there over the years. Officially, the store seems happy to at least wink at all of the alleged ghostly activity. The most popular video on its Facebook page is entitled, You Know What They Say About the Galveston Walmart. And in early Friday morning, the trio of managers on duty were neither surprised nor annoyed by a charm reporter's question. They declined to give their names and claimed to have never seen anything amiss themselves, but they did allow that all the ghost stories have definitely been good for business. As one quipped, if it brings us tourists, there's ghosts everywhere. <laughs> hey, Chris. Yeah. Um, Nico was trying to get your attention earlier. Okay. It was really sad. So I'm just going to hand this to you for when he comes back. Nico! He wanted you to play with it. Oh, <laughs>
But we have a similar situation in what was once the Acadia Rare Books, excuse me, Opera House and Bizarre Bizarre. Uh, after the fallout from COVID, the Acadia Opera House Bizarre Bizarre closed its doors forever in 2021. Fortunately, despite suffering significant damage in the Hurricane Ian last year, the building has been saved and restored and is now serving again in its original capacity as an opera house and community center. The building was erected in 1906, a year after uh, fire destroyed most of Acadia's downtown, including the orphanage and uh, that was on the same property. Soon afterward, legend has it that a little girl fell out of a second-story window and a spurned lover was said to have hanged herself from the rafters of the opera stage. The spirits are said to, uh, were said to haunt the building, and the little girl was frequently seen looking out of its window. Unexplained sounds, like laughter, and footsteps of children were heard throughout the store. For years, it operated as a museum and housed one of the largest antique shops in the state, the Bizarre Bazaar, on the second floor. It was also suspected by many to be one of the most haunted buildings in Florida. To reach the second floor of the Acadia Opera House, you had to climb 27 old creaky stairs. But that's not an ominous sign of what's to come. I don't know what it is. Despite its haunting reputation, the Bizarre Bazaar's owner, James Crosby, wasn't sure what to think. He said of the stories, at some points, I always get the impression that there's somebody else here. Whether it's just the size and the scopes of the place or the lighting, but I'm always catching something out of the corner of my eye that makes me stop and turn my head. By day, the Opera House was an antique shop. By night, it played host to paranormal investigators. Eric Kincaid is one of several investigators who had recorded an electronic voice phenomenon or spirits there. Kincaid says... Uh, and others pointed to the Opera House's dark history to explain the ghost. He recalled the story of a woman who was sitting at the stoplight on the corner of Oak and Polk, who looked up and saw the little girl staring at her. And as she sat there through three red lights, somebody finally honked and she looked back at the little girl and had disappeared from the window. Investigators also claimed to pick up voices on the opera stage. It says that the spurred lumber was in love with the original owner of the building, J.J. Hurd. They had an affair, and the woman leveled an ultimatum at Hurd. Excuse me, or your wife. Apparently, the woman wasn't expecting Hurd to decide to stay with his wife, and she subsequently hung herself in the rafters of Hurd's theater. She was found there the following morning. The dark history of the building brought in as many paranormal enthusiasts as it did shoppers during its time as the Bazaar Bazaar. Only time will tell if the haunting continues as the old theater is reclaimed for its original purpose. And I mean, what's a good theater without a good ghost? <laughs> I like theaters with ghosts. Yep. All right, so that is our last story for the evening. Thank you for bearing with us through our technical difficulties. We had it on time, though. We did. It was a shorter trip, though. And, um, and we also, well, we replaced our pre-story banter with technical difficulties. True. Yes, so. we were ready to just get it on with. <laughs> yeah. So our so. next two um, shows, we're going to be off for a couple of weeks. Yes, so it is going to be three weeks before we're back on again. Yes, the 11th. I think that sounds right. Yes, the 11th and the 18th, so we're going to do back-to-back. Yep, back-to-back, and it's both going to be the same theme. It's going to be um, like the Victorian-era Christmas ghost stories. So these ones are ones that take place in America. Yes. I found American Victorian ghost stories. Yes. America. America. So, 
as well, we have certainly featured plenty of um, British writers on, on our Victorian Christmas ghost stories before. This time it's going to be from American authors. We've never featured M.R. James. Hmm? We've never featured M.R. James. So, Is he in there? Um, he's not American. Okay. British. I can tell you. Oh, oh all right. And go ahead and take him off. I need to go. All right. But anyway, so yeah, that that three weeks, then we'll be here back to back. Um, and our, uh, our our next like real like you could say real ghost stories, like the uh, the stories that we typically share, we will be back uh, with those in January. So. And I don't know the theme yet. I have to write that script though. Oh right, I offered to. I won't be able to. Okay. <laughs> so I will write the script. Got yeah. it. But we'll get there, and we will do our great reveal for that later. We're not going to do that right now. Like, guys, like, people are going to show up for this. They're going to get dressed up. Wild. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so, yeah, aside from that, we're kind of chill. We had a tour tonight. We did have a tour tonight. Yeah, Travis, one of our many amazing guys, Travis, is out in... Uh, wandering Shaco tonight, or hell, he was. He should have wrapped up about an hour ago. Yeah, he's probably done by yeah. now. Yeah. But, um, um, so, yeah, he was out on a tour. We have high dinners coming up in January and March. They're on the schedule already, so check that out. First one is January 6th. Yep. And it will be um, 12 days of Christmas. So. Yes, because it actually is. Um, it's, um, if you are um, Christian, it's actually going to be on January 6th, which is Epiphany. So it is basically the end of the 12 days of Christmas. So we are going to be doing Christmas ghost stories. Yes, it is January 6th, but uh, still right there in the 12 days of Christmas. Also in Shakespeare. Like when 12th night? Yeah. What's what, 12th night? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have another one, as I said, in March. Also in January and February, we do have our special event with John Marshall House. Uh, so I, I would not forget you didn't mention that. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, definitely come check that out. Again, those are on the schedule. I believe it's the third Saturday of each of the month. Mm, nope. Um, second Saturday in January. Okay. And then I think it's the last Saturday in February. Okay. It, it's like they're about a month and a half apart from each other. Okay. But it has to be because we have so much going on. So there's the dinner the first Saturday, John Marshall the second Saturday. Third Saturday in January is Hanover Tavern Paracon. Right, that's right. So we will be there, and and we have, are going to be doing our Shadows of Shaco tour that night at least once, if not twice, because it's our birthday. It's my birthday. It. <laughs> birthday bash at the Poe Museum. Our friends, right, you know, right there in Shaco Bottom. We're going to be, uh, you know, having our uh, Shadows of Shaco tour will be available for uh, folks that want to come on out and celebrate both Poe's birthday and get spooky stories with us. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's going to be really fun. They have a lot of parties and alcohol. Yep. Yeah. Which, as you guys know, we enjoy alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anything else about it. Um, it's fun. But I do know that Beth and I are going to pretend to be each other. <laughs> We're going to be up at the, the Hammer Tavern Paracon, and I'll be at the Poe Birthday Cash <laughs> giving that chatter to Like swapping. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be at the Paracon the whole time. All day long. All day long. Uh, we're going to be doing a panel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, panel with some uh, 
talks with some other fun, spooky people from uh, from the region. Who all was showing up at Paracon? Oh, mm, a whole bunch of people. They have just started announcing that. Oh. So if you want, Facebook, Hanover Tavern Paracon, you can look it up. they got the event page there, and you can see who's uh, who's confirmed to be there and all that fun stuff. Well, we know Trans and Paranormal is going to be there. Yes. <laughs> Uh, there will be quite a – it's a big drop for the paranormal people. So uh, between the events that go on during the day and the market that will be there during the day, then there is the big investigation that night. So, yeah, that's going to be a big and fun event. We're looking forward to that. And it's hard to believe that's actually two months from today. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right around the corner. <laughs> ah, yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, and then, well, that last Saturday, it's not so much for the general public, but we're uh, going to We're actually hosting a convention or conference for um, Ghost Tour Guys. Yep, so we'll have uh, Ghost Tour people from all across the country are going to be coming here to Richmond, and we're going to be hanging out with them that weekend. So, very not general public type thing, but something cool that we're doing with our uh, our friends in the locally owned and operated Ghost Tour community. Yep, we have a lot of friends. We do. It's about networking. Right. Well, they're popular. I'd like to think that people like us. Well, I know people like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the cats. But people like the cats probably more than Beth and I combined, but oh, yeah. <laughs> they come for the cats. Yeah. yeah. But we have like a turnout tonight, guys. We have like nine people on. Now yeah. there were like several phones of ours on. But, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, yeah. Hope that you enjoyed the stories tonight, and uh, when you do go shopping next time, particularly say you know that old antique store or something like that, you know, maybe if you get that funny feeling off your spine or something. Also, you know, don't add ghosts on Black Friday. Oh yes, yes. yes. Be kind. Be kind yes. to your fellow shoppers. As we like to say on our tours, everybody who joins us for a tour also leaves the tour at the end. We don't add ghosts. No adding ghosts. We don't need any more stories on our tours, and we don't want you to become a fixture in any of our stories. I definitely don't need any more stories on my stories. (laughs) I noticed. (laughs) With that, we will go ahead and we will bid you adieu for this evening. Remember, you can join us for ghost tours basically any night of the week. Go ahead, check out our calendar. We have a lot coming up. Uh, we are going to be doing, we have Churchill on Wednesday. Yes, it is. Um, and then a couple of tours Friday, Saturday. So, yeah, we got, uh, and then week after week. So, all that kind of stuff going on, top of the special events that are coming up, and be back here in the Oh, week. yeah, and then, and then Galaxy Con is going to March. There's yeah. so much to do. There is. We're not going to prep what panels we're going to Yeah, we, um, they haven't opened for panel submissions yet. So, We'll get there. So, in any case, if y'all want to continue the conversation or whatever, go ahead, drop us a note anytime. We're happy to hear from you. But for now, we will bid you all adieu and have a good night. Good night. Bye. I'll be back at the next one probably. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. 
There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ShumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.